Happy International Podcast Day, folks. In the spirit of this holiday, you can go to patreon.com forward slash clockwork nights and give a donation of your choosing to help this podcast. Podcasts take time, energy, late nights editing, and money. Whether it's a one-time donation or if you'd like to support that podcast monthly, any financial support is greatly appreciated. More benefits and details coming soon at patreon.com. All right, you ready to do this? Let's get on with it. What is up, podcast nerds? This is Clockwork Nights, and I'm your host, Clark Wayne. Welcome to the show, everybody. Maybe you can hear it in my voice. And does it sound tired to you? I feel tired. I'm running on very little sleep right now. <laughs> I have maybe gotten about two and a half hours of sleep, so that's fun. Hey, Billy Power is the guest today. Billy is is coming on to talk about uh, various things. We're going to talk about uh, his project, Spoken in Tongues. I guess it's his band. I shouldn't call it a project. It's, a, it's an actual band. Um, we, we're going to be hopefully doing some shows later this year. Uh, I'm going to be playing drums and, and helping out with that. But we'll talk about that and other musical things and, and a lot of fun stuff there. The irony of the first part of our conversation, that's, that's all I have to say. The irony. The irony. How are you doing? What's going on in your world? I hope you have a good and fun weekend ahead of you. I know here in Nashville, there's lots of food stuff. Uh, Beehive, which is a, they do like faux meats and and uh, vegan and vegetarian stuff. Like they are going to be doing a festival this weekend. Centennial Park is also going to have some kind of uh, cultural festival thing. So there's going to be lots of food trucks there. Seems like everyone's getting more comfortable to get out, especially here in the South. I think people didn't care anyways, whether there were vaccines or COVID, like people were still going out, but definitely seeing a lot more people out in public, which is um, good. I wear my mask still. That's just something I do, whether I go to a show or if I feel like it's going to be a crowded space, I'm doing it. You know, say what you want about COVID. If, if, if you don't believe in it, then that's, that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, I take the approach of anything to help reduce the chances. And again, like I want to take care of myself. I want to make sure that I am able to show up for me and my family, my loved ones, my friends, to the best of my ability. So I'm trying to stick around. I don't mess around with with the you know the mask. I, I just put it on. It's easy. It does not offend me. It does not take all but a second. And that's all I need to say about that. So yeah, lots of fun stuff. I hope you're having fun things going on. If not, you know what? I, I hope at least in your part of the country or your part of the world that the weather calms down or is cool and that you can just get out and enjoy uh, where you are. I know that something that I have been practicing lately and it has been uh, kind of grounding myself and going on walks. I work from home, so it is important for me to uh, leave the office 
and come home. It's very difficult for those of us who work from home and and depending on the line of work that you do, it could also be extra difficult. So I've been practicing that. That's something that I've found successful for me over the last couple of weeks is like, you know what, I'm just going to go put on a white t-shirt since it's darker at night now and walk through my neighborhood, which is pretty well, well lit. And I literally say out loud, like, all right, I'm leaving work. And I go outside, take like a good 15 minute walk and breathe, do some box breathing uh, just kind of stare at you know my, my neighbor's yards and and kind of get reacquainted with kind of the subdivision and, and the home aspect. And when I come home, either before entering the house or as I'm entering the living room, I just say, "All right, I'm home." And just saying that and acknowledging that and getting that out in the open has been very helpful for me. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if that kind of grounding aspect is helpful for you. If that could be good, useful knowledge for wherever you are. But whatever it is, uh, you know, even if it's taking your shoes off in the grass, like that sounds silly, right? Um, or getting yourself a, a glass of water, you know, going to the fridge and pouring yourself some water. Taking care of yourself is important. And I know that I, I, I am now going to have some work ahead of me over the next few days and the next couple of weeks because trauma, at least how my brain works, it revisits it comes back up. If, if I'm tampering things, then um, it it will come back up and, and represent itself. Or the brain, you know, let's just leave it at this. The brain is a funny thing and it will do whatever it decides to do. The subconscious is very powerful. I just want to make sure that um, I'm doing what I can. And so I'd encourage you, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your things are, Take care of yourself with the little things because they really do go a long way. Uh, Hey, clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com is my email address. Free field to to write to me. Uh, Check the email yesterday. Still hadn't received anything. You could be the first email that comes in and lets me know how you're doing. If anything that we've talked about on the podcast is something that you're implementing into your life, or if you'd like to share something new with me. So feel free to write to me. Again, that's clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com. All right, so moving on to Billy Power. He's our guest today. A couple weeks ago, I met with Billy at his place of residence. It's a beautiful property out in the middle of the country. Highly encouraged checking out Billy's stuff as well as the Spoken in Tongues band that Billy is uh, currently doing. I'm going to post all the links in the description. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this, before we get into the interview. So we met a couple weeks ago and uh, Billy and I have had a friendship for maybe five or six years and we haven't hung out until this year. So primarily our, our friendship has consisted of text messages, Instagram messages, and missed phone calls. But back in 1997, or maybe it was 98, uh, I sent Billy, who at the time he was working for Tooth & Nail Records. If you know anything about Tooth & Nail, Tooth & Nail uh, is known for bands like MXPX, Goaty Hook, The Dingies, Slick Shoes, Starflyer 59, Living Sacrifice. The list goes on and on and on. And, and as well as Billy's uh, old band that we'll talk about called Blenderhead, which had like this fucking cool cover of a guy who was literally like had a blender head and it was awesome. Billy worked for this record label and Billy was behind the scenes of a, a lot of these bands and, and helping them on that label. I actually sent Billy an email from my Juno account as a kid uh, wanting to send Tooth & Nail my demo of, of my band called Smurge. This would be a great opportunity to play that demo for you, 
but we're not going to do it. <laughs> no one needs to hear that today. Maybe another time. Uh, I, I dev I'm holding it. Actually, you hear that? That is the tape. I'll, I'll post it in the in the, the show photos uh, on the on the on the socials. So that way, you know, I'm not lying. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's been you know a long time ago since I, I sent that email. Billy was like, "Of course, send your stuff." Never did. Band broke up. Yada yada yada. Fast forward 15, 20 years later, Billy started a podcast called Urban Achiever, which is available on iTunes, and I'm sure it's on other platforms. Billy interviewed people in the music industry, artists, creatives, just lots of cool conversations. This is a significant podcast for me to do today because Billy, his podcast was inspiring for me when I discovered it probably about five, six years ago and when I was going through some really heavy stuff. And I couldn't sleep at night, kind of like last night, except like that was the norm. Like I just didn't sleep because of all the anxiety and stress that I had going on in my life. I could put on a podcast, lay in bed and listen to these conversations. Many times I found these conversations to resonate with things that I was going through at the time. The, the honest and transparent talks that Billy was having with a lot of these creatives and artists just helped me. Speak of the freaking devil. Literally, it's it's 11.06 in the morning and Billy's checking in on me. He said, just send me a text. Just checking in on you. You might be, <laughs> you might still be sleeping. I'm not, but let me, let me heart it the way I can text it back when I'm done with this. Yeah, so that's, that's Billy. Billy's been a good friend to me. He's listened to me rant about life and also called me out when I deflect a simple how are you? If you're a deflector like me, then you need a friend like Billy. You know, I, I'm guilty of just coasting by with friendships and being like, I'm fine. I'm good. No, how are you doing? And then immediately just trying to dive in and take care of them. Billy doesn't let that shit slide. Billy stops me. I appreciate his honesty and that he doesn't hold back with who he is and his personality. It's safe to say we have never had a dull conversation and we will not be having a dull conversation on this podcast today. All right, so let's get on to the interview. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you my friend, the urban achiever himself of Blenderhead and Spoken in Tongues, Mr. William Bill Billy Power. <laughs> why am i always sweating god i can't wait for this fucking summer to be over yeah it's been a hot one i'm so over it and i guess everyone knows because mike was like it's cool enough are you getting happier <laughs> kind of yes i am getting happier the yeah. only thing i hate more than small talk is being hot well, <laughs> <laughs> so make this good, Clark. Try to come up with something good to talk about, or I'm going to be hot and making small talk. And I mean, who knows what the fuck I'll say. There's so much that we can talk about. Is there? There is. I, I was able to even come up with like <laughs> a long list of things off the top of my head this afternoon. Okay. First off, where are we? We we are in a really cool spot that you live in. Yeah. This is... This is really cool. This yeah. is my second time out here, and I I'm a little bit jealous because it is a beautiful spot. It's pretty cool, man. I uh, I think I told my aunt and uncle when I moved in here that um, are they sure? Are you sure you want me to move in here? Because I will never leave once I move in here. <laughs> 
So just think about it. It's not too late to back out. My stuff's still in the truck. It's no problem. I won't, my feelings will not be hurt, but I definitely am never leaving. <laughs> just so you know. Even after I die, my... Because this is pretty much my dream scenario, and why would I try to go somewhere else when I'm already where I basically want to be, which is just in one big room. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we're sitting in like a kind of a cabin. Well, this used to be a garage. This was the garage oh. to the house, and the house is down here. And then um, the house is basically, when they bought the house, according to the real estate people and whatever, it was a teardown. But they're, you know, they want to they want to do the big project. So they totally rehabbed the house and moved it up the hill. So it was right behind this. Oh, this cool. is the garage and the house is down here. And then they had a mover come move it up the hill. Like with the trailer? With the, like, the, the beams where they, like, okay. it, you know, slide it up yeah. the thing or whatever. Old school. Yeah, so they moved it up the hill, and then they redid that entire house, like, put in all new windows and read and added on to it on every side of it. They added on to it from the original house. It's probably, like, from the late 1800s, the original okay. house. And then um, they lived here while they were doing that for years. While they redid the house, they lived here. How, how long then, did it take? Do you know? Uh long time yeah i'm not sure i don't remember the time i I would assume it has to like settle somehow yeah (laughs) like they made it seem like no big deal i was just like uh okay i mean i've never seen like i've seen pictures or whatever but like it's quite a bit bigger than it was when they moved it to be fair so like if you look at it now and you think they moved that like (laughs) that's not really what they moved they added to it they added on to every side of it like pretty significantly yeah yeah and then um and then this, after that point, this became my aunt's art studio. She's an artist. And then um, she what? did all her art stuff in here, painting and everything. Like, that's painting? one of her paintings there, actually. Oh, cool. Over the mantle. I like that. Um, most of her stuff, there's another side room over here. Most of her easel and all that stuff is in there. And these, these two big cabinets with all this stuff in there is a lot of her art books and all that kind of jazz. Cool. So yep. the, the just to give everybody a little description, the painting that he originally was talking about is very colorful, mm-hmm. um, kind of rainbow-like colors, but not rainbow shape. Yeah, I have no idea what that is, but <laughs> I could stare at that for hours because um, that's just who abstract I am. Abstract art. It's very abstract. Yeah, and she does both kinds. She has like a, there's an epic painting of a older lady like a giant, one of those giant paintings, like hanging up in their place. So she's done, she's very talented. Yeah. Done a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. And so you, you moved in here in January, December, December. Yep. Wow. Right before Christmas. Okay. Yep. Coming up on a year. I know it's crazy. Yeah. And like really crazy. How's it, how's it being back in the South? It's good and bad. Like I knew it would be. Yeah. Like today I was on a <laughs> DEF CON 10, I don't know what the scale is. <laughs> <Def Con scale. laughs> I could have fucking killed somebody this morning. I don't know. The drivers here are horrendous. And I don't, I think it's just because there's like, it's like a weird confluence of like New York drivers, LA drivers, country bumpkins, like people that never had driver. They don't have driver's ed here. Period. Are you serious? Yes. Uh, uh, they don't teach driver's ed. If you can go past the test, and you can pass the driver's test and the written test. You get your license. You don't have to take it in school. You don't that have to. They don't have it. So much sense now. Right. See? <laughs> yeah. well, this is where like NASCAR was born. Sure. I think like I, I Mike Rowe, whoever that guy is, he's like, he, he just reminds me of a real life like Tim Allen character. Um, he did a, 
a series on alcohol in mm-hmm. like different parts of the country. And I guess during the prohibition, um, NASCAR was born out of people trying to race over county and state lines to smuggle uh, alcohol. Yes. That makes sense. And so it became like a race thing uh, whenever they started building up the engines of the cars. Yeah. So literally like rednecks driving fast here is... Sounds right. It's ingrained. And then they're not teaching... They do insane shit, anyways. dude. I like lived and worked in New Jersey, New York for like almost a decade combined between the two times I lived there. And people drive aggressively there, but people do like cockamamie shit here. Like, yeah. for example, when I was going to work today, there was like a box truck at the gas station at Harding. And that's kind of your hood up yeah. there. Right before 24, trying to make a left the opposite way across all four lanes of traffic to go over to 24. <laughs> And I just out loud said, you can't do that. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? You can't do that. You can't. You come out of but the gas do. station, you make a right, you go down and make a right, 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 or a left, 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 or you flip a bitch, you do whatever, but you most certainly do not cross across two lanes of oncoming traffic, a median lane, and two other lanes in a box truck. That's the same area where... By the gas sta- by the uh, gas station and the car wash and the McDonald's at the top of the hill there before you get to okay. Sam's Club. Yeah. Yeah, he was going to make a come out of the gas station on the right-hand side and go all the way across traffic and go over to 24, which he did, by the way. <laughs> and people course. do stuff like that there all the time. All the like time. they need to put in those little strips that prevent you from going across the on those big sections like uh-huh. that. They just need to put in those little Yeah. They bumper, have them in Texas. I yeah, was just little there. bumper strip in the middle there or something. I don't know, crazy. And then around the corner, and they have the emissions station, emissions yep. inspection station or whatever. And uh, this guy flips right in front of me to get into the line. I get four more cars down, and a lady's like, oh, "I don't want to be in this line anymore." No signal, no warning, no looking. She didn't even look over. I think she was looking at her phone. She just came right at me, like just, "I'm coming out." <laughs> I mean, it was like seriously, like at every juncture of going down Harding, I was just like, I'm just going to fucking go home. This is fucking ridiculous. These people are crazy. Yep. That's they a, are crazy. That's the same area on the way to the show the other night where yes. that guy, when we were merging onto 24 mm-hmm. with the United We Stand tattooed, decided uh, yes. to cut us off. Yeah. Where the lane was ending. Yeah. He was in the lane that was ending. And then he we, was supposed to safely merge in with us wherever, in front of me, behind me, but he did not gauge the distance or he did not know. And that maneuver happens to me all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yep. I don't know if they just don't get it, that the lane's ending or like what it is, the merge is onto 65, all those ones like that. Every time mm-hmm. I have to be on my guard, like what's that guy doing? Yeah. Try to like kind of go over to the right to kind of keep them from going. Yeah. Or something. And then you get to use your your freight train horn. That oh, is yeah, my your... sad horn. That was so embarrassing. My fucking apology <laughs> so, horn. Meep, meep. It sounded like a horn on a toy car. We, He's in a giant truck, like we, a four by four. And I'm like, I'll show you. <laughs> we get cut off by this guy. And I never heard Billy's oh. horn before. I'm God. sorry, Billy's car's yeah, horn. Yeah. And <laughs> I could probably, I could probably honk louder with my voice than that we, horn. Anyone. Certainly. Mickey could. Mouse could honk louder than that car. And then we, we just, it's you know, defective. kept honking the horn <laughs> repetitively going down <laughs> the street or the highways. We kept so laughing. Embarrassing. It's great. Yeah. That horn is embarrassing. I'm going to get, I had, a, the last time I lived here, I had like a little shitty Chinese motor scooter because I couldn't afford a Vespa and my car had died. And so that was my transportation for a minute. Is breaking all the time. It's a pain in the ass. But um, hmm. 
It had a little, of course, it's a scooter, right? It had a little meeper horn. It had an equal <laughs> volume horn to my car horn, car. basically. Yeah. It sounded the same. Yeah. But I bought an air horn for it. And so I would like pull up <laughs> behind people and be like, it sounded like a semi horn, like an air horn was like, Mah! and people were like, what, where is that coming from? That guy on that scooter? That can't be. Yeah. So I need to get one of those for my car. It's happening. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, sooner uh, than later. It's it's insane here. That I want is... people to know I'm angry through my horn. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could get a horn that just screamed, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you! Wouldn't that be a great horn to have? <laughs> be amazing. I feel like I want to send more of a message than just honk. Honk. Yeah. Or beep. Yeah. It's yeah. not that hard, man. It's not hard. And for anyone who doesn't live in Nashville, how many wrecks a day do you think you see just, All, just one day. way? Every day. At least. Multiple. Probably like. Every day. Two. Yeah. At least on your way to work. Yeah. Because they're not falling at a safe back. distance. And then yeah. if I follow at a safe distance, always, but always some guy's like, oh, I'm just going to insert myself in here. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that's not why I'm following. And, and P.S. I, I say this all. I'm sure I've said this many, many times, but there was that Mythbusters show. Okay. And they did a whole episode on how they're on the highway or whatever, and, and that kind of stop-and-go traffic is no advantage at all. Like, they did the city driving thing where they went, like, oh, they yeah. each took a different route or whatever, sped as fast as they could, and the other guy just kind of went whatever with yeah. the flow of traffic, and you arrive at exactly the same time. Wow. It's the same thing with the highway. If you're if you're in a lane and you're five cars ahead of me and we're all going 70 miles an hour, we're all getting there at the same fucking time. It's like we're, in, speaking of NASCAR, it's just like being in a NASCAR. You know what I'm saying? This is no advantage whatsoever. None. Even if you're miles ahead, you're going to get there, what, five fucking minutes early? Mm-hmm. And you're endangering yourself, probably your child, your small child that's in the car for what? It's <laughs> ludicrous. But I don't think people think this stuff through. They're just like, I'm in a hurry. I'm hungry. I hate my job. I hate my life. Whatever, whatever it is. I just imagine that's probably, you know. Yeah. So that's how my morning was. That's how I started off my Tuesday. Cool. Just coming in hot into the office, just ready to fight somebody. <laughs> After that guy in the box truck, that's. I guess I should have just been grateful I didn't get taken out by the box truck. If I'd been a couple seconds later and not been been looked down hey. on my phone for two seconds, yep. it's all over. <laughs> so how does it compare to New York then? Like, because you were telling me the other night we were talking about different cities, yeah. um, which I have a couple of questions in regards to that that mm-hmm. conversation. We were talking about traffic, and you were like, "LA is the worst. New York's right behind it." And of course, we have everyone from both cities moving to Nashville. And then, like, you randomly were like, San Diego's okay. Cause, like, I, I guess I brought up that you're from there. And I was like, yeah. what about San Diego? And you're like, it's fine there. How is San, like, well, traffic wise, it's pro, I mean, it's comparable. Yeah. But as far as a sit, like, quality of life uh, in the city, like, every time I'm there, I feel amazing. Okay. Like, like when I was finishing school and trying to think about, like, what I was going to do and where I was going to go and whatever. Yeah. You know, this is, like, the third time I've moved back to somewhere I already lived and, like, whatever. So I was kind of carefully weighing, <laughs> do I want to go back to Seattle? Do I want to go to San Diego? You know, I was visiting my aunt. I have an aunt and uncle who live in San Diego, and they're retired, and I would go out a couple summers. I went in a row. I went out there, and it felt incredible. I just felt incredible there. I felt great. I mean, I have, like, a good, you know, nostalgia is a powerful Thing. So that was like mm-hmm. where junior high and high school, my first punk shows, like my first playing in a band, like yeah, so many, you know, first girlfriends, like all that kind of. So there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in that town for me, but it is just absolutely beautiful. But mm-hmm. the cost of living is astronomical, like to rent a place or to 
buy a place is just like oh, crazy. Wow. And I don't know that many people there. This is the last place I lived where there were a lot of people. Um, LA's traffic to me is worse than New York because New York, while it is horrendous, at least has very viable trains and subways and Ubers and bicycle bike shares and yeah. scooter shares. And you can get around without having to drive. But if you live in LA, you're just fucking driving. Okay. That's it. You're going to be on the highway. You're going to go to, cause I lived there briefly again before I moved out to New Jersey the first time. Okay. Um, when I left you, then I was in LA for a brief, like a six month period, a little refresher. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it'd be like, oh, we're going to go see Henry Owens do spoken word in Hollywood on a Wednesday night at like he's going on at like nine and you're sitting in gridlock traffic in the dark at like, you know, 10 at night, 11 at night, like coming home, just like, what the hell is going on? Wow. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's like, and then New York's that way too, but you don't have options in LA. So it's just like, I'm just going to sit in the traffic, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they kind of are starting to get some trains and stuff, but those are more for like long haul commuter people or like whatever, not for just getting around. Like okay. when you're in Jersey in the city of like, if I wanted to go to a concert or go out to eat in the city or like whatever, you could easily go park and ride, get on the train, get in the city, go do your thing, leave. That's an easy thing to do. Yeah. Very easy to do. But cool. Yeah, I don't know. And you still, you mentioned you still have, have or had and have. I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> no one cares about <laughs> anything I've said so far. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> this guy's got an attitude problem. <laughs> He's mad about a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> See, it sets the tone for the whole day, man. No, this sets the tone it, for the whole day. All this guy does is bitch about all these cities. <laughs> When he was in New York, he complained about the South. Now he's back in the South. Now he's complaining about New York. You had a question, sorry. No. Um, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> it's true, though. So, um, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Here's a, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something extra on that, okay? It's great to be out of New York because I fucking hate it and it fucking sucks and it's the most overrated shit ever. Everyone, greatest city on earth. You ask all the, I started towards the end, I started asking people all the time, you think this is the greatest city on earth, right? Oh yeah, of course, greatest city on earth. What makes it great? Got pizza and bagel, always with the fucking food. Not Central Park, not East Village, not punk rock started here at CBGB's. Not all the things that to me, I'm like, oh, this is a cool city, right? There's some cool shit here. The Metropolitan Museum of Art, world-class museums, natural history museum. Yeah. Places that, iconic places that have been in movies and all this stuff and whatever. It's like, no, man, we got the pizza and the bag. It's like, dude, they got, I don't know how to break this to you. They got other good pizza and food <laughs> other places. Right. Like that is not the thing to hang your fucking hat on that this is the greatest place. And it's overpriced as shit. It's like people are assholes. It's like, it's got a lot of negatives. Uh, those last four years that I was in the city all the time, like really soured me on New York. Like, I feel like it's an amazing place to visit for like four days and leave and never go back. Like, okay. go see all the stuff, go do all, you know, go take the NBC tour, see the SNL stage and all. That's what I mean. Like, things, yeah. there are cool things there, but it's like the day-to-day -day, like living shit there is bullshit. Like the quality of life of New York is absolute bullshit. It's hmm. just... You know, just terrible shit, man, happening all the time. Just horrible, hor you know, <laughs> just terrible stuff yeah. happening. I remember going one time to, like, uh, counseling with my ex-wife in the city. 
and there was a car with police just on the side of the road, like in a normal parking spot with like police tape around it. And then blood, like all over the windshield, Shit. like by the car, and then a trail of blood from the car of like most of the way that we were walking to the like, no explanation, no real cops around, nothing. It's like, eh, just leave that there. It's like a biohazard crime scene, like no, no one around. No cleanup. <laughs> no, maybe later. I don't know. Uh, in any case. It just happened. <laughs> my My biggest sort of... Uh, reservation about coming back here um, was the bullshit hick culture cowboy uh, like the guy down the street here that still has their Trump yard sign in their yard right. months after the election uh, almost a year after the election uh -huh. but, uh, you know the, the all that shit I have one of those guys down the road and you know now it's like the number one place for COVID in the country uh -huh. you know, the governor's a fucking moron and all that stuff so that I kind of just knew, I accepted that that was the way it was going to be, but it has not made it sting any less. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just like, really? Yep. Really? You still got a, a yard sign for Trump out there in yeah. fucking <laughs> September. Yeah. Okay. Cool. A solid. Yeah, they're going to do a recount any day now. Yeah. You guys going to get back in there and divide <laughs> us even worse. So, <laughs> oh man. So anyway, I could, yeah, uh, I could go on so many tangents, <laughs> even in recent conversations with friends and family but smith and lentz man smith and lentz. we got smith and lentz here man you, so greatest city in the south and proper bagel right why do you need to go to new york you don't you don't it's just food i've never been anyways it's not rent or cost of living or how much you have to work just to live or whatever yeah pizza and bagels it's just shit <laughs> sucks so you've you've got your your aunt and uncle that own the property yeah. uh that, that live in this area and then they're retired um we've got a handful of friends old buddies that live here ton best friends no a ton of people here. yeah and like the other night we went to the show you like were you know mr like mayor shaking hands uh, and kissing babies two like, people i don't right. think a mayor makes but <laughs> Okay. I do know. I knew. I knew no. I'll tell you this much: I was only back in New Jersey because I was married to somebody at at that time. Yeah, and my whole life revolved around her and her family, and I had like no friends there, no family, Man. one or two friends, and that was like maybe one of the bitterest pills to swallow in that whole thing. Was mm -hmm. like I set up my whole life around this person, and they just did not give a shit about me. Yeah, you know. So it felt good to be back somewhere where people were like having graduation parties for me and <laughs> inviting me to go get breakfast burritos and inviting me to go out to eat and to go to shows with people and like what, you know. Yeah. It's like I saw more people here, I think the first month that I lived here than I saw in like the last four years or something. And it, how, how long were you in New Jersey? This last time, seven years, but I lived there before for a couple years, so. Okay. Yeah. I'm close to a decade combined between the first time and last time. Yeah. So, and then I lived here before from 05 to 11 like seven years okay yeah cool this is it man i'm tired of moving yeah this is the end well that and like you don't want to move probably things like this upright piano sitting behind sure. me well you want to know here's a fun little vignette for you uh-huh so that piano was my great grandmother's piano yeah it was in san diego uh-huh my uh other aunt and uncle from san diego said we're going to give this to you as a family like gift. I played this piano. I learned to play piano on this piano. When oh, I was cool. a little kid, there's pictures of me with my feet dangling off the bench of that piano. So it's like a cherished thing to me, but it uh it was sent by truck from San Diego to here. Uh-huh. 
when we lived in Madison. And then the guy that delivered it was like, like any stereotypical Russian mobster you've seen in a movie with like the black slick back hair and an Adidas tracksuit and whatever. That was the guy that came to deliver the piano. And he had a thick like Eastern European accent. And then he's like, I'll be back in moment. And then he went and got a couple like Mexican guys, I guess, uh-huh. somewhere. And then brought them back, clearly not professional piano movers. And he's like, <laughs> like bringing the piano down the ramp of this truck that just has all kinds of stuff in it. Like, I don't, I don't know what kind of weird racket this guy is running. Stuff that's not yours. Just all, yeah, a other, whole big long truck full of stuff, right? Yeah. And it's just this guy. And he's like going that he's holding the back of the piano and going down the ramp and it's like bouncing on the ramp and whatever. And I was like, this piano made it all the way from San Diego to Tennessee. And this is going to be the end of its sad little life is like, <laughs> it's going to bounce down this ramp. And, and that was before he got these guys to bring it upstairs at our house. So they brought it upstairs to the house up there. Then when we moved back to New Jersey, I hired guys that were equally weird. Just a couple like, like from the cast, the hee haw guy, like a guy, like a super pot belly guy with like suspenders and stuff, like Hank and Jethro coming to move the piano, you know, like what is just so weird. And then, uh, and then we moved to New Jersey. Then it was on the first floor of the house there. And then we moved upstairs there, back downstairs into storage for a year while I was separated and got divorced. And then back out of storage. And that was a fiasco to even get the piano back from this dumb guy that had the piano. And it was like, he, he had it in storage in Pennsylvania somehow or some shit. And then and he kept like, can't like he, like he kept canceling and saying it was going to be this day. And I took off school and work and whatever. He never came. And I never even heard from him. I thought he died or something. I don't know. Like it was the day of delivery. I never heard from him the entire day of the delivery. Yeah. So I was like, I'm never getting this piano back. So then I finally got it from him, put it in storage again. Because I got it from him before it was time to go, thank God, like a few months before I was moving. Yeah. And then I moved it back down here. So went from San Diego to here. To here. Up back to New Jersey. So coast to coast. Yeah. And then back to here. Wow. Yeah. So it's been across the country and then back halfway across the country wow. to rest here behind you in and this place. Is is it in tune? Have you had it? Not really. Yeah. I thought it was in it's in tune with itself. Right. <laughs> for sure and i thought it and it sounded fine it didn't sound old and plinky like they can get sometimes it yep. sounds great um but then i tried to play along with something that was recorded and then i was like oh this is this nope. piano's not in tune <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep uh anyways yeah. i don't know if that's an interesting story but that is a good metaphor the piano story is a good metaphor for my life yeah like, what the fuck is this guy doing but you've also lived <laughs> Everywhere and like everywhere. a zigzag. Yeah, oh yeah, everywhere. Like you're like, oh, I was there, then mm-hmm. I left, and then I came back for a brief stint, and but then I left. Yeah, oh yeah. And born in Washington, grew up in California, went Washington back to State? Washington. Yeah, I was born in Spokane, Washington. Okay. And then when I was nine months old, we moved to LA because my mom was sick with MS, and the UCLA Medical Center was like the only place in the country um, treating that at that doing even anything experimental. So we moved to LA because my father's folks, my grandparents, lived there. And then his sister also, my aunt Patsy and her husband, that's the ones that live in San Diego. Okay. And then I lived there for 18 years and then went in the army, as you know, went to Germany. Yeah. When I got out of the army, I moved back to Seattle because my parents moved from San Diego back to Washington. Oh, wow. And then I lived in Seattle for like 13 years, back to California for six months, out to New Jersey for almost two years, then back down here for seven years, then back to New Jersey for like nine years, and now back to here. The, the end... This is, is it, it. Is this where you want to be buried? I'm committed to making this relationship work. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been saying. We're gonna, we just have to make this work, Clark. Yeah. 
when I see the guy with the, the yard sign, I'm just going to have to suck it up. <laughs> when the box truck tries to kill everyone on, the, on Harding, I'm just going to be like, this was worth it. This is it. This is the end. <laughs> this is where I'm going to die. Just bury me at Radnor Lake. So the 13 years that you were in Seattle, does that cover all the time that you would have spent with the record label? Yep. And, and Summer of Blunderhead? 1990. Yep. I moved okay. to Seattle the summer of 90. Uh, one week, I got out of the army one week before the first Gulf War started. And I thought I was still on wow. inactive reserves. And the whole time I thought I was going to get called back. And I was stressed about it because uh, I had counted down every day of that last year. <laughs> I was in the army. I did a three-year term or whatever and then um like literally the night that i had had my first night in my new apartment in ballard like i was eating pizza and it was on the news that they were invading kuwait that iraq was invading kuwait and then i called my friend bill who was my roommate and he said yeah we're all shipping out it's It's just like i'm next i missed it by like a week wow can you imagine count three years and counting down every day last year and then being like yeah we're gonna just go ahead and keep you in and we're going to go to Kuwait. Oh, wow. And I was the commander's driver at that time. And then he got, I guess, like relieved of command uh-huh. during that whole thing or something. So it been interesting, I guess. But Because that was Bush Sr., right? Yeah, during- that was like, that wasn't really, the first go around was really when they were like saying all that rhetoric, like you're going to be bathing in your own blood and all that. And uh-huh. basically the Iraqi guard was like starving out in the desert. Yep. Like they, their boots were all worn out and they had no food and they just were surrendering in mass. Yeah. Everybody that was kind of that go around. Yeah. But yeah, the so summer of 90. And then I just happened to arrive in Seattle right when everything happened with the music scene. It was wow. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, you've told me before, you saw all of it just like explode. Oh yeah. Just like right in front of you. Right. When I got there. Wow. Yeah. And then I was living, I was living in Ballard and I was living downtown, like at sort of peak Seattle, like everything. Okay. Like I was living in the Josephina where my friend Chris Esty uh, was living there. And it was kind of like a um, Catholic charities, sort of like, um, not a halfway house, but like a rent control building where like a lot of people that were recovering from addiction and things like that lived there. Mm. So it was, it was like sometimes some shady things that happened there. For like sure. someone killed themselves by it like mm. nose diving into the marble floor in the lobby one time or oh, like, wow. you know, people would try to come in my room drunk in the middle of the night. Things, whatever. <laughs> it was crazy. But I lived there for five years and that was like, I was like right down the street from the crocodile cafe um, where they had a lot of famous. And then I was on the same block as the Moore theater where like the one Pearl jam video where he's falling off the, it's like an old theater and yeah. he like kind of falls onto the crowd from the balcony. That was like on my block. Okay. That building. And then, diagonally across the street was the sub pop offices and then when they opened the sub pop mega mart that was like in the middle of my block on the same block okay and what part of town was the was it the house of funk that was in like the university district by the university of washington okay yeah and was that primarily was that a christian thing or was that just like any any kind of band could play at that place um yeah i mean it was just like all the blenderhead guys live there except for me because i was married um, but like Matt and, um, all those guys live there. I think for a time, I feel like Damien Gerardo was living there for a period of time. And then just cause some different people kind of came in and out of that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was all like, we played there, like the show that we got signed after was at that, that was like the focus wish reading. Like this is the first tooth and L tour ever right after the first two records that come out on tooth and L. Okay. So they were just, 2001 was Wish Freedom, Pet the Fish. Pet the Fish, and then yeah. The second one was Focus Bow. And then those guys did a West Coast tour together. And like Focus Bow had just come out. 
Okay. They were selling it on like cassette and CD in the kitchen. (laughs) And And then Brandon and then Brandon came up from Oregon. And then after that show, he offered us a deal. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what that first record is that the one with the Mm -hmm. the actual Blunderhead cover? Yeah, that art was done by um John Nissen. Well, I don't even know how I think he told me recently, I feel bad that I don't remember now, but um I don't know if I met him. That was before Tom Fest even. He might have come to that. I'm trying to remember how I met him. In any case, he ended up being the guy that, that did the Tooth and Nail logo. He did the uh, Poconatcha Punk. He still does the Poconatcha Punk art oh, okay. to this day. Yeah. Um, John and his wife, Debbie. Delightful people. Cool. Um, but he used to always go to Tom Fest and everything like that. And um, so I met him kind of early on. He designed one of our first shirts, and then he designed that cover. What was the the dynamic like in Blenderhead? Was it like collective, or was it like kind of your thing? And then like people would chime in, like who, yeah. Who, I did, mean, I had how been did that work. Yeah, I was in this band called Gloria. That was there was um, later. Those guys went on to band, form a band called Soul Food Seventy Six. The drummer and the guy Daniel and these other guys, but they were all part. There was this whole group of people that went to the Calvary Church and. The one of the associate pastors there was um, Dave Sprinkle, who is, is Aaron and Jesse Sprinkle's dad. Okay, and um, I just randomly started going there, and then poor old Lou had already formed. They were called Bell Bang Villa. They were all like in high school, and then I ended up joining. I was playing in a band called Ashes to Ashes with this guy Sam that I met at a record store, uh, or music store. He's working at Kennelly Keys in Wallingford, and then. How can I condense this down? Basically, I was in a band Ashes to Ashes. I started going to that Calvary where like the poor old Lou guys went, yeah. a bunch of different people, Damien Gerardo, uh, Dave Bazan, just about, they were all part of that church. Okay. And then uh, this band Gloria, I joined as the bass player and then they were part of that group of people. What and kind of music was that? Gloria was kind of like... Um, now you would just call it alternative, I guess. Okay. <laughs> but, but it was just sort of Still? like... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, just like alternative, like kind of like a 60s influence to it. There were like harmonies and stuff like oh. that. May I think, I feel like Daniel and the, um, then we're into bands like Jellyfish and like a lot of those like um, Blur and some those like Manchester British kind of bands. Uh-huh. So there's kind of that, a little bit of that to it. Oh, wow. Rhythmic. Yeah. And that kind of thing with jangly kind of guitars and stuff. So Maybe the, REM and things like that. The name kinda. fits. Yeah, Gloria. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's... yeah, there was kind of a hippy dippy kind of thing about all of it or whatever. Um, but I was only in that band briefly and I, I started promoting shows at the what was called the Yak Room. I, f- I formed a promotion company called Fearless Donkey. And then. <laughs> and then Wait, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come up with that name? No, I have no idea. What does that uh, mean? <laughs> I mean, like, when you think about it, it's pretty appropriate, really, right? Because I'm like kind of a jackass, and I'm not really afraid of many things, except dying. That's awesome. Um, so in any case, so I formed this production company, and then like I started to kind of like, because I I had grown up in like as far as that like church stuff, like whatever. Like I had grown up in California, where that kind of all started. And then when I moved to Washington, none of those bands and none of those people ever came there. So when you say where it all started, like, are you talking about like the Jesus pre tooth and nail, like blonde vinyl, Mike Knott, okay, like all that kind of like early alternative, anything that was not traditional, like music, punk music, like Undercover, Alter Boys, all 
um 77s yeah. daniel amos like they were all part of maranatha okay music and and the ministry resource center and calvary um one bad pig was that no in that that's era? later larry norman does he fit larry in norman's earlier earlier okay yeah, so like somewhere 70s. in between yeah yeah 80s okay and you said so 77s they, right yeah like my yeah. freshman year in high school there was a festival at um called exit festival in azusa and Undercover, this band Quick Flight, AD, which was like Carrie Livingston from Kansas's band, Steve Taylor, Sheila Walsh, like a lot of the kind of more yeah. people from that era played this big concert. And then I went back and started a band with this guy, Mitch, that was like our youth group leader and then a couple other people. And so we had this punk band. And then I had met Mark Solomon at that time, like through the mail, through fanzines. And, um, like we played at the first crucified show and like whatever. And oh, so that cool. was kind of the precursor to all that stuff before I went in the army. So mm. like we had played the first show with the crucified in 1986 in Fresno. And then while I was in the army, like the crucified got signed to narrow path and started putting out records, that record that you saw at the that, store the other yeah. day, weirdly still sealed. Um, so, so yes. hang on. Yeah. 86. Yeah. Do you remember what time of the year? Uh, Do you remember the date at all? I want to say June 5th, 1986. I have oh. a flyer somewhere of it. Oh, it's definitely cool. summer of 1986. And I stayed at Mark's house. Um, and uh, in his book, I actually wrote about this um, in the preface to his book because... The one with the, the, the skeleton? Simplicity, it's yeah. called. Yeah, that was I the never... first pressing. He did another pressing where there's a picture of him as a kid on the cover. Okay. I have a copy of it in here somewhere. Cool. Um, but his mom, like, like uh, I think Jim Chaffin's girlfriend, who's now his wife, like worked at... Uh, pizza and pipes which was like a pizza place that had like a big pipe organ for some weird reason <laughs> and um summer we like got pizza and then we went to Farrell's. maybe she worked at Farrell's, which is like an ice cream place that was famous for having this thing called the pig trough that was just like a giant like bathtub of ice cream i don't know some like wow. a thing that you would just get a bunch of people together and you know Eat yeah ice cream and whatever and so yeah so this is my first time like playing music out of town anything i'm like 17 you know, wearing a homemade shirt of my band with like the name on the shirt that I made, that I wrote on it with marker or something. Very innocent, like whatever. What was the name? Uh, point blank, but recently changed from our original name, which was Pontius Pilate and the Pious Punks. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, um, we changed our name to point blank to be more accessible. <laughs> um, so weird. Um, so yeah. So then Mark had asked for us to come play at the show and so we came and played and then like his mom, like I slept on his couch and then this ne the next day his mom made us this epic breakfast of like pancakes and bake. I, like I awoke to the smell of like pancakes and whatever. And um, I used to always tease Mark that it gave me this like false sense of like what being a musician and being like in a working band was <laughs> like. I just thought you just go places and eat pizza and play punk rock and like people feed you like it's It's great. Food, which is not entirely false. Right. It's sort of true, but there's a bunch of horrible shit that happens in between those things. Yeah. That makes it less fun. Um, in any case, so I had that relationship with him and I had been in, and I, there were, they also used to have concerts at like Knott's Berry Farm and um, there's another Six Flags Magic Mountain. They would have music nights where a lot of these people would play and I would go see them. Like I went one time to a concert at Knott's Berry Farm that was like the 77s and the choir and like a lot of these alternative kind of, there's a band called the lifters. that was like a rockabilly band. Okay. Um, that later became wild blue yonder that crystal Lewis like sang with them oh, and wow. stuff. And, and, um, and they were all kind of altar boys were kind of, and, and we played later with them in San Diego. We're all kind of part of that, um, Calvary. Um, yeah. 
in Southern California. That's so I kind of came out of that culture of that thing. And then I went in the army. And then while I was gone, like the first Scattered Fee record came out, Sin Disease, first Crucified record. And so it was like a scenario where it was just hand-printed fanzines, cassette tapes, all this kind of stuff. And then while I was gone overseas, like they mailed me, like I got an actual, like a CD of the Crucified in the mail and a shirt and stuff. Oh, cool. And I was like, what is that? This is crazy. <laughs> what is happening? Right. And then like that first Scattered Fee record came out and I was kind of aware of them through demos and stuff like that back then even. And then I moved to Seattle and of course I want, I'm like, I want to get plugged in with wh- whoever is doing that there. And yeah. really not too much is existing. And so just by luck, actually I was wearing a Crucified shirt when I went into that music store to look at gear and the guy recognized the shirt. And then I started that band, Ashes Stashes, a guy, Sam Vance. And then I was in that band. And then I joined Gloria, started promoting shows at the Yak Room there. And then um, Scattered Few came. One of the very first things that I did was Scattered Few came and played at the Tacoma Theater and Tem- Temple Theater in Tacoma, Washington. And I don't even know how, but there was a guy that did the ACM Journal. It was like a newspaper back then, zine thing or whatever. And he was the promoter of the show. Hmm. And so I I became friends with him. And then I actually ran like the spotlight at that show. And then randomly somehow, Mikey Bridges was at that show from Sometime Sunday who ran Tom Fest. Okay. Was at that Scatterfew show also. And so he was from Southern California originally. So his whole background was that whole Southern California and blah, blah, blah. And he had moved to Portland and I moved to Seattle. So Mikey and I became friends. I started Fearless Donkey. I put out the first Sometime Sunday cassette on the label Fearless Donkey. Hmm. Um, It was called, what was that called? I have a copy of it here somewhere. Uh, Over there, I think. Um, So I put the first Don't Know cassette and the first Sometime Sunday cassette and then um, started doing all these shows. And then the first Blenderhead show was The Crucified. Uh, the opening band was The Guilty, which was Damien Gerardo and Dave Bazan's punk band, hardcore punk band. They were in a band together. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Dave played drums, and Damien was the singer. And then this kid, Brian, who later was a roadie for Blenderhead, played bass. And I'm trying, I can't remember who was playing guitar then. In any case, they played, we played our first show. Brian Gray was the bass player at that show. Oh, cool. And this kid, this guy, Billy Repenning, that was a friend of Sam's from Ashes to Ashes that had a studio, uh, he played guitar at that show. And then um, Brian left, I think, to join Mortal, I feel like. Like, he was sleeping on my couch, and then I think that's when he went back to L.A. to join Mortal. And that's what, that Mortal was that band with the guys from Fold's, is it Zandura? Fold's, An- Fold's Andura, Zandura, who, who okay. now that one guy is in Switchfoot. Okay, Jerome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So see, this goes like way back. Yeah, yeah. To back in that time. So, and then Brian was like sleeping on my couch and Ballard, and then he left to join Mortal. And then I was basically, I just like, I had asked Matt to be my drummer from, he was in Don't Know already at that time. And then I said, Hey, can you play drums? And then I had Brian and this guy Billy in, and then they left and Billy quit. And then it was just me and Matt. And then I didn't know any. I didn't know anybody else. Hmm. <laughs> so then I was like, "Do you think Ed would want to play guitar?" Then I was playing bass at the time. So then I got Ed from Don't Know to join, also in Blenderhead. And then um, eventually Paul from Don't Know also. So basically, like everybody in Don't Know except the singer, I pillaged um, to be in my band. And then um, and then uh, we played a show at like the co- I think con- there was a college show that we played, and Evan was there. And he knew Doug, who was in Roadside Monument, 
Doug was in a band called Waterfront that was kind of like a Nirvana-ish band. Okay. And that I also knew from that scene. So I had put out a compilation called Songs from the Rain Factory, and it had like Poor Lou and us and all these kind of bands that were kind of happening in that scene. Yeah. And when I did that Crucified show, Brandon came to that show with his brother, and I gave him that CD. He started playing that CD on his radio show because he was going to Oregon State, and he had a thing called the Thirsty Moon River radio show yeah. in college. And he was playing bands off of that compilation CD. When he graduated, he moved to LA, went to work at Frontline. And then he got back in contact with me and said, hey, what's going on in Seattle? I'm trying, I'm trying to start this label. I want to find out what's going on. He was putting together Helpless Amongst Friends, Volume 1. Okay. And so he was just trying, kind of trying to find bands and all that kind of stuff and whatever. And next is and that then, when you were like sleeping on his floor and helping him move up there? or, or? Uh, That was a bit later. Okay. So yeah, so... um. I convinced him, so he came up for that show yeah. after they put out the first two records, right? And then we got signed, and then around the time that we were recording Prime Candidate for Burnout with Aaron Sprinkle, um, he, uh, I basically begged him to let me take over Tooth & Nail Mail Order. So then I took over Tooth & Nail Mail Order and was running Tooth & Nail Mail Order out of my apartment at that sketchy building. <laughs> like, they just shipped me a bunch of shit, and I got some, like, cube, those little, like, wire cube like things yeah. at Kmart or whatever. Yeah. I didn't even have a car. I didn't have a car for like five years. Oh wow. So they just shipped a bunch of hoodies and like, you know, Joy Electric records and all this stuff to my apartment. And then I was just running tooth and nail mail order, which at that time was just ma- like stuff came in the mail. So I opened up a P.O. box in Seattle, which is our P.O. box for like a I think they still have it actually. Wow. Um, and then, um, and then I had a custom ringing phone number that was in all the catalogs and it was, so it was my home phone in my apartment, but when tooth and nail mail order person would call, it'd be like a, a short, like ring, ring, like ring, 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 ring. And then I would know it was a mail order. And that's uh. like, tooth and nail mail order. Like, a, I think the first month I worked for tooth and nail mail order, I made like $300 or something. Wow. So he was in LA. Um, uh, Aaron, okay. Aaron Bradford was working there and then okay. Matt Wignall from Havelina. So that was basically the staff at that time. It was Matt from Havelina, this guy Aaron Bradford, and Brandon. And then he was like, I want to move back to the Northwest. It's where I'm from and my family's from there. But like or like Portland is not really like the happening, like everything's happening in Seattle. So mm-hmm. that's where I want to go. So then when Blenderhead did our after our first record came out, we did a West Coast tour. Um and after the tour ended, our last show was in Arizona with Overcome. Um, in Phoenix, actually wow. at Jay Baker's uh, Revolution Church. He was Jay Baker, the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Oh my gosh. Do they have a movie coming out like right they now? They do. Yeah. In fact, I just saw on social media he's on a plane right now flying to the premiere in New York. Yeah. From Seattle. He, he was, lives in Seattle now. This is so weird. Wow. <laughs> and he was pretty involved in that from from what um, mm-hmm. interviews I've seen of the actors. Yeah. Which they, they were really grateful that mm-hmm. he was able to yeah. lend his insight. Good dude. So. Yeah, so he was running Revolution at that time. Later, it was in Atlanta for a really long time, but originally it was in Phoenix. And so we played that show with um, Overcome, and then there had been some kind of like natural disaster in Cal, not an earthquake, but like a flood or something. I don't know. It was hard to get a rental. You couldn't get a U-Haul, basically. Mm. And so um, Matt and I rented the truck in Phoenix, and then the rest of the band drove home from there. And then Matt and I drove back to LA with the moving truck, picked up Brandon's apartment, basically everything at the office, and then moved the label to Seattle. Okay. And that was probably like, I moved to Seattle in 90 and that was like 93. Mm. And yeah. you, you said you, Blender had played with Overcome. 
Yeah. And it, so we play with a ton of those bands. Like on that West Coast tour, we played with like Prayer Chain and Starflyer, and we and played like a, a Long Beach church show, with like six feet deep and focused. And and for anyone who doesn't know, Overcome the reason reason I'm asking this is because they're like super heavy hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Winterhead was more straight ahead punk. Yeah, ish. I mean, there's some heavier stuff on that first record, like Choice yeah. and stuff like that. And so was that helmet ripoff? Songs? Normal. <laughs> yeah. Was that normal? In the 90s to oh, yeah. do mix shows because I feel like by the time I started going to Cornerstone as a kid, it just seemed like most of the tours were just like, you know, genre specific. Yes. But it yeah. was, what was that like? That was the tail end of that, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Like, like early shows in Seattle, we would do some of both. I mean, you know, some, it's just natural to kind of play with bands that are similar to your style or like whatever, but sure. there, there was more mixed type stuff, you know, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. do you feel like that helped with exposure? I just like, for me, like, <laughs> that's the funny thing. It's, I'm glad you used that word because I was trying to explain to a lay person, which is always the hardest thing of like anyone that has no context for music. It's like, I think my aunt and uncle or somebody, I was trying to explain like, like what the punk ethos is, like what, what makes punk punk and what makes like, what is part of the attitude of like what nobody, when I started playing music and I've been playing music since I was five years old, like a hand from musical family, like play music my whole life. Yeah. It never occurred to anyone at any juncture. This is a much later, this is a young person's mentality of more like that you could make it or that like music is a career choice or any of that, any of that type of stuff did not exist. When mm -hmm. like we first started playing, it was like, you just did it for the sake of community and friendship and because you love the music and, and all that kind of stuff and like whatever. And that's still, I think like anything that happens in your formative time, like that's still the kind of way I look at that stuff. Like yeah. I hated being in the music business. I hated it. The only reason I did it and the only reason I liked doing it was to help people that were my friends. Hmm. And that that's per, you know, that's consistent like all the way till now. I'm still yeah. working with Mike who was I was his A&R guy back in the day and Mark's one of my dearest friends and Chad who worked for me at Tooth and Nail and did later did the militia group. Like all my closest friends are all an outcropping of all that stuff. Mhm. Mm um, but the idea of like, yeah, like exposure or like whatever, it was more like the idea of creating a scene and putting on show very much that DIY, Yeah, like no one's going to help us do this. So yeah. we're, if we want to have shows to go to and we want to be hanging out with our friends and playing music, like we're going to have to do it ourselves. Yeah. That was pretty much, you had no choice. Yeah. Like it was out of total necessity to do it. Yeah, so the other night, we went to see Turnstile together at the Basement East yep. in East Nashville, and I had not listened to their new record before the show. I yep. think I'd listened to, like, the It's Been So Long yeah. song. Yeah. Didn't get into it, and, I, and right before you picked me up, it hit me. I was like, I have not listened to this, and I'm kind of excited about that, because, yeah. like, I know I'm going to enjoy this show. But... I went back and re-listened to the whole record yesterday after seeing the show, mm -hmm. and it didn't hit me until I was listening to the record how diverse they are. Yeah, and even though they come out of the like the hardcore world, yeah, they they're all over the place sonically. Mm -hmm. They you know genre wise, and it it made me feel really good because I'm like, oh, they're they're just they're being themselves, you know, yeah. they're not like sticking to one genre. They're not trying to, 
kind of pull you into this like yeah back room and then really like oh this is who we are like it's just i like their whole vibe because they're heavy yeah but personality wise like the singer especially i'd never seen them until that show and i didn't even get into really? them until recently i don't even know how i got into them but i started getting heavy into all that ball like trapped under ice and them and and a lot yeah. of that baltimore stuff um rhythmic stuff which really has its roots in like helmet refused um Orange nine millimeter is a big influence for sure on them. Okay, like they had more of a rap style vocal delivery, but they were hardcore and had the heavy like riffs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they were not fans of Orange nine millimeter. Okay, that's a new one for me. I've not. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. So. That's from that '90s era. Of, there was a lot of bands that were kind of making that like into another an Orange nine millimeter kind of like post hardcore like bands or like whatever. Okay, Sense Field was a later okay band of that. I've heard that one. Um, in any case, I just liked his whole vibe of like, he didn't say we have merch, the little things that I pick up on. He yeah. didn't say anything about get some merch, nothing about this is a new song off our new record. Yeah. Only very earnest and sincere. Yep. We love you guys. We love being here. We did our record here. This has become a very special place to us. Mm-hmm. Is everybody okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, he introduced himself twice. Yeah. Like, like no one knew. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Like utterly lacking in pretension, and also one thing that definitely puts me off of most modern hardcore is no tough guy posturing. Yeah. Did you even notice that even as crazy as it was, there wasn't the kind of like wild flailing of people trying to sock people in the face and all that weird stuff where people are getting knocked to the margins and yeah. people are getting hit that don't want to get hit. None of that existed at that show, period. Right. Just it wasn't it part of it at all. Yeah. But it was still super aggressive, and people were like stage diving from like two notes into the song. Like, like they played literally two notes, and people were already stage diving. Yeah, it was great. But I loved it. I love that. I love that it was positive and like had a like this whole like loving and uplifting kind of vibe of everything. That bass player really projects like a very yes. like uplifting kind of. I just love that. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember if I told you um, the other night, but like when I was doing some schooling in Germany. I got to go see Trapped Under Ice in mm. Cologne. Mm-hmm. And it was the drummer of Trapped Under Ice who, after the show, I got to hang out with and we talked for like over an hour, just like about nothing. But, you know, like it wasn't like I was going up to him and like, your music's great. What are you yeah. doing next? It was just more so like, hey, how's the how's it being in Europe? Yep. What, what have you found that's cool? Yep. Um, and then he was asking me, you know, equal questions like, um, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, you said, why are you in Germany yeah. <laughs> and you're clearly not German? Right. You do look kind of German though. Thanks. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. Um, yeah, it's probably the blue, blue eyes and I was about to say blue hair and blonde eyes, yeah. but he, that the drummer trapped under ice who I had that conversation with is the lead singer of turnstile and. Oh, weird. Yeah. So like I, I, when I was introduced to Turnstile, like it was like, oh, this is cool music. And then my buddy Jeremy was just like, oh yeah, that's the drummer from Trapped Under Ice. And I was like, I knew immediately it's going to be good because he was literally like the nicest person I met out of that whole scene. Yeah. You know, and like treated me like a human, like just, we talked. Yep. <laughs> you know? That was my experience with uh, Stefan from The Descendants when I was seven, the week of my 17th birthday when I saw The Descendants at the Shake Cafe. Oh, cool. In San Diego. Same thing. Wow. Like I just started talking to him and I was playing in my first band and like whatever. And he 
it's like, oh yeah, we just moved out from Utah and me and Carl just joined the band and we're just so excited. We can't believe we're like playing in the descent. You know, it's like so weird. Yeah. And then, yeah, just like that whole, I mean, that's what I cut my teeth on was that whole environment where it was like, like I saw the circle jerks in high school and the bass player who was like in the movie repo man and all this stuff and like whatever was just talking to me. And back then I had no, you didn't know who the fuck was like in what band or like whatever. Like, just like, you probably didn't know, you know, yeah. like, I guess you knew cause you went to the show, but like, I didn't know who he was. And the next thing I know, he's like up there playing bass. I was like, Oh my God, that's the yeah. bass player from the circle jerks. That's weird. He's just talking to me like, and I was like literally a kid, like yeah. a little kid. And that left a lasting impression on me that that's sort of the way you operate. Mm. And to me, like where people look at stuff as an opportunity to, mm-hmm get heard or get a showcase or any of that kind of industry like stuff to me is just so fucking weird. It still is. Even after having worked in the music business for a really long time, I just think it's so weird and icky. Yeah. Like just play music because you love it. It doesn't occur to me to have another motivation for doing it. Like this is some business plan I came up with and, and like, (laughs) it's like, what? Yeah. You just do it because what the fuck else are you going to do? You love music (laughs) and this is like nothing better than this. Yeah. That's I, it. I would say that, like, having not been to a show, it was my first show post COVID world. Yeah. So, like, two years or something it's crazy. Going on a year and a half. Yeah. And because the last, the, the, the real last show that I went to was uh, to see a band called Whitney um, play at the, the Mercy Lounge, whatever, yeah. the, whatever the big one is. Cannery. Cannery. I saw them at Cannery. Yeah. And the chick who did Making My Way Downtown performed with them um i'm blanking on her name anyways but it was great they did a duet together cool um that was january of 2020 before shit hit the fan yeah but the the second to last show that i saw um was with my girlfriend and and then friends of ours jeremy and gwen we went to the exit in to see pine grove i don't know Mm -hmm. if you've gotten into that band at all Um, i'm familiar with them but i haven't listened to them a ton yeah and like my life at that time was just like working 40 hours at my day job and then working gosh probably like 20 or 30 hours running live sound and doing studio work and i took a, a group photo of us because we got to sit at the balcony uh, or on, on oh, nice. the balcony and exit in it was always my dream to like do that exit in mm-hmm. and finally did it and it was one of those shows where it's like i got to sit and watch it mm-hmm and kind of watching it from the balcony and just enjoying it. It was like, my life needs to slow down. I need to do something because I really want to enjoy the people in my life. Yeah. Full circle moment the other night, like Jeremy and Gwen ended up coming, who you got to meet. Yeah, yeah. And then they stayed with us. It it just was a very euphoric feeling for me because I'm like, you know, like these are the people that I was last with, but then it was also my first time hanging out with you at a show, but yet like... I there's a lot happening of you you know we you and i have been like kind of buddies like and yeah. just get starting to getting hang out since you've moved here mm-hmm. and then we're watching a band that is so positive and the room was so positive and rowdy and mm-hmm. it reminded me of it honestly reminded me of the first few shows i went to when i was a kid between you know like 95 to to 98 mm-hmm. like the first few handful of shows where it's just like everyone is literally smiling even when you get kicked in the head because you know it's not on purpose yeah <laughs> and the opening band by the way uh, in line with what we were talking about earlier totally different totally different Com- two girls and then like heavy and like almost like doom stoner metal or yeah. something but then with like girl scene very 90 mid 90s 
uh, I think I joked like I felt like I was back at uh, Lollapalooza or something, yeah. right? Like L7 <laughs> was playing or something, a little less punker, uh, you know, L7 or something. Yeah. But they definitely had that mid-90s heavy girl kind band vibe, breeders sucking and all you that in. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so that was cool. But people were super cool to them. They People were. were very like, I mean, everyone clapped. Yeah. It was like cheering and like whatever, you know. The, nice. I, the room was full. Yeah. No one was leaving. No. Yeah. That's that was cool. Fun. I, I missed that. And like, I, I will, I've missed that for a while. Yep. And so I guess for me, it was extra special. There's extra special sauce on it because of the whole friend aspect. And, um, and then having not been to a show in so long, it was just like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know? Until, crazy how great it is <laughs> until so we we literally oh and this is another point we literally stood at the in the back of the room with our our backs up to the wall yeah by the and, soundboard and it like the energy was still yeah all the way in the back of the room and oh, like yeah. to me that's always a good testament to the band or the the band's culture yeah you know, if like you're all the way in the back. Yeah. Did you see that couple to the lefty with the super goth looking girl that looked like she was so goth she looked like a character from a movie, like yeah. or something. She, <laughs> she had like the savvy makeup and everything. And he was like dancing like yeah. almost the whole time. They yeah. were cute. That yeah. couple was cute. But they were like could not be further back in the place. And yeah. were just totally engaged in what was happening. Yeah. And that's that's like how I felt. Until like, until <laughs> some idiot. Well, so like if <laughs> If like, if the Somebody if the band volume is like, dun, 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 like whatever, mm-hmm. like this girl just comes right like of all the the spaces and places yeah. in this really this decently sized venue, she comes and plenty stands of places to stand right in front of us. Yep, and all you can hear is ah, like talking, I, yeah, and, talking to this guy, and then this guy, guy floats up. Yep who stands right in front of me. And then now you and I are trapped in a corner, not yeah. like, not just with our backs against the wall. They've kind of created a, a corner for us. Sure. And As assholes do <laughs> so or want I, to do. I already know how you feel about it. Like I've already heard you talk on previous podcasts. Oh yes. On your own podcast. About That's this. my number one show pet peeve. It, I've been here all night. And by the way, even worse than normal. Cause normally when that happens to me, I'm up closer. Yeah. I'm at the back. My back is up against the back wall of the venue, and I'm next to the soundboard. Why are you even fucking here? So what I decided to do, because I have long hair, for anyone who doesn't know me, and I know that this is not a visual thing happening right now. I have long hair still, and my buddy Jeremy has even longer hair than me, so we're we're like kind of metal guys, and we've been headbanging the whole night, because that's what we do. Right. And I decided... When I realized that this guy that was not going to go anywhere in front of me, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but I inched closer to him. Nice, <laughs> slowly but surely. Sure, because they would they were talking the whole time. That, yeah. It's not that they were just standing in front of us; they no, were like they were. carrying on a full on conversation. And so I started to inch towards him as I was headbanging because I was like, eventually my hair is going to hit his shoulder. Yeah, and then he he like vaped. Yeah. So she like, did too. It's like, all right, she here we vaped, go. Then he vaped. <laughs> so I was like, douche, all right. The douche flute couple. I had a plan yeah. and it worked. It, well, <laughs> he left. I, he left, but like I inched so close to him, yeah. I knew he was going to move yeah. up on me. Right. And then he did. And that's when I put my hands on his shoulders and I go, hey, you're backing into me, bro. 
<laughs> I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. That was literally. He like, looked baffled. Yeah. And which so, is perfect. He like, I spooked him. And yeah. And then uh, I has, realized. He looked like he hadn't been touched in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> that was the vibe I got. <laughs> oh, somebody's touching me. <laughs> and so. Here, let me vape again. <laughs> So dumb. And then I moved you and I was like, I felt bad because you had, you know, you know, you were fighting your glasses with the mask and, and then sure. they were talking in front of you. And then yeah. when you and I switched, then they were like, Oh, they're they're moving. We have to leave. Yep. And they did. But other than that, perfect show. Yep. Perfect show. That remind me of when um I've seen Jimmy at World probably in like seven seven times or so. I'm seeing them in mul- a whole bunch of different states. And the worst one by far, which I thought was going to be the coolest time by far, they played at Central Park in New York at the summer stage. And I thought, this is going to be so cool. Um, <laughs> like, one year I saw Devo there. Like, Ooh. you know, Paramore played there for the Today Show. It's cool. Like, yeah. good artists and stuff and whatever. And they're always great. Jimmy and, well, Yeah. Yeah. And they're... for whatever reason, that show drew all the, like, I only like the middle or I don't know what. But... <laughs> Dude, and it was like fifty bucks, which and this was a number of years ago. It was a lot of money. Yeah. So I don't mind paying the money because I always feel like I'm supporting artists and music and like whatever. So for me, it's not an issue really. But like I'm thinking, every one of these people pay fifty dollars, and I'm surrounded by, surrounded by not just one like this time, not a couple people. Everyone is on their phone and talking oh, through wow. everything. They're playing and they're playing amazing and the show's amazing. And I'm just like, what it, did I pick a bad spot or yeah. what? I, and I got so mad that I left the area. Like I went back to the back and I find, I found an area where it seemed like people were singing along and like mm-hmm. whatever. And I saw like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? And if you're one of these people, you know, write into Clark, he can forward it to me or whatever the <laughs> fuck. Like, why would you pay $50 travel into New York city, go to central park, wait in line, all this shit to just be on your phone and fucking talk to your friend when you could just do that shit at home and put it on a DVD or YouTube or some shit. <laughs> Why are you coming to the show to, to say that you went? I just don't understand that at all. That email address is clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> like if it's the opener, it's whatever, I get it. Yeah. But like it's mid-set in Jimmy Eat World and no one is paying attention. They're yeah. all talking. They're all it's on their phones. They're all doing whatever. It's stupid. I just don't understand that. Yeah. No. What I, are you doing? I, I had a similar experience with... Um, Live on the Green here in Nashville, which is downtown right in front of the the courthouse. Mm-hmm. And Gary Clark Jr. played. Yeah. And for anyone who's familiar with Gary Clark Jr., like you know that he is so amazing at what he does as a blues guitar player. And it's like for me, I, I'm not I'm a drummer first and I, I try to play guitar. So like anytime I see a guitar player in person like that, it hits me. Yeah. And like, I, I freeze. I just kind of sit there in awe of that player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the same kind of atmosphere. It's just like there was a constant. It was like no matter where you stood, nonstop chatter. That and there was always a line of people walking in front of you to oh, get yeah. in or out. Sure, I've had so many of these experiences. Yeah, and yet I keep going. Overall, it was good though. That guy left. That girl left. People, people don't know how to act. That's what I've learned. After all this COVID, year and a half of COVID, people mm-hmm. have sort of forgotten like where they're at, what they're supposed to be doing, what they should be saying. Yeah. 
It's weird. Yeah. I I'm I get that. I'm right there. I'm a, I'm a little yeah. I don't know what to do. Like yeah. it. I, did I, I tell you about church the other day. I did. Yeah. Where I laid out like a whole horrible array of all these terrible things that happened to me in succession upon seeing this guy I hadn't seen in ten years. Yeah. In the greeting line at church. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you do. That's a normal thing to do. <laughs> oh, by the way, I got in a car accident. I went back to college. Got a degree. Got divorced. My dad died. My cousin died. Just laid it all out like it was just a normal thing to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> but you said he he responded rather well. He did. He yeah. did. To his credit. Good. Yeah. He just rolled with it. Good. It's like you've had a rough, sounds like you've been going through a rough, a rough, did he use the pastor word, the season? Mm. I, I think he might've dropped a little season on me, a little seasoning <laughs> on me. <laughs> Such a, going through a season of this and a season of that. And uh, that's okay. I love that guy though. He's, he's legit. Yeah. He's very down to earth. Good dude. And, and in fact, right before I said hello to him, he went out of his way to tell another uh, person that he really appreciated the way that he went out of his way to pray with this particular guy and, and to take it, you know, to step up in a moment to reach out to this person, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I really appreciated the way that you did that and identified what was happening there and went to pray with that guy and whatever. I thought mm. that was awesome. And this is like, he stopped that guy just to tell him that, that I thought that was great that you, I saw that that guy was kind of struggling and needed somebody to, reach out to him or whatever. I thought that was really great that you did that. And I really appreciated that. Wow. So. And was this a place in town? Yeah, it's over in uh, Granny White Pike over there. Okay. Yeah. So that was like the, that was the church that I first went to, like when I very first moved to Nashville in 2005, when they were still meeting at Ro the old Rocket Town. So mm -hmm. not even the, I guess Rocket Town's not happening anymore, but they're the building before they did the circle over there where they yeah. moved everybody and all that stuff. Um, I was going there. And, um, yeah, that was a good time. That was another time where I had not been to church in many years. And like, I would just go cry like every Sunday, <laughs> <laughs> just sobbing, crying every Sunday. And then it was like communion Sunday this last time I went and I realized I had not had communion in like four years or five. I don't know. It's been a long time. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's like something that you and I have talked about on and off since we've started hanging out. It's yeah. Like that's something for you. Like you haven't lost like your faith completely or, or no, at, at, you know, at all not. or. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been, uh, you know, when they say you're out in the weeds or you're the, I've been, I feel like I've been as far as you can be and not be completely done. Hmm. Like I've definitely been in periods where like, I didn't think about it. I, it was no part of my life. Like I just was not, you know, considering it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it's really important to be able to like separate what I believe from Christian institutionalism in general. Sure. That's always been important to me. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a key to keeping it going. <laughs> yeah. Like if you, if your faith is reliant on church and Christian culture and all these other things, like fucking forget it. <laughs> <laughs> just, there is no hope of that happening in any kind of meaningful way at all. So with that said, you still see some value in going and participating in something that may be kind of tied to that institutional I aspect. Like, I've been watching the sermons online since Jersey okay. at this particular place. And I kind of had the intention, I had gone to another church here 
And I had kind of thought like, I want to get back to going and like, whatever, where do I feel like comfortable and like, whatever, mm-hmm. um, like a automatic deal breaker for me is, I'm sorry. I don't know why we got into all this stuff. It's okay. good. Um, an automatic deal breaker for me at church. And what's the most common dominant thing in church, especially here is like the big show. Yeah. The lighting, the, it's our big rock show, like the whatever. Smoke if I come in and that's happening, it's over. Yeah. I cannot I cannot do that. That uh-huh. is definitely a deal breaker for me. I can't <laughs> overlook it. Like my ex went to Hillsong in New York, which is like the uber hipster church yeah. like that pastor since like cheated on his wife and all this horrible stuff happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like the whole, like it's like a big rock concert and people are all woo and yeah. cheering and all this stuff and whatever. And it's just like... I think just because I grew up like Presbyterian, which they nicknamed like the frozen chosen or something. It's like, you don't clap, you don't raise your hands. You don't, you just don't do that shit. Like yeah. you just, I think that's just like ingrained in me somehow. Um, but I don't enjoy any of that stuff. Mm. I don't like it. And so one thing I always liked about this church, Midtown Fellowship was that the band and everybody was always on the seating level. So when everybody stands, they're not even really barely visible. Oh, wow. So all you're seeing is the words and hearing the music and there's no, there's no show whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I'd been watching, I'd been watching them online since last year. And the last Sunday before I went in person, Randy, who's the pastor went out of his way to say, I just wanted to say for anybody that's new here, like he, before he did the sermon, before he did anything else, he just said, I just want everyone to know whether you're new or whatever, something that's really important for me to tell you is that this is not a show up here. <laughs> huh. This isn't a performance or like a thing where we're like putting on something for you or like whatever. Yeah. We're trying to facilitate you encountering God and all this stuff and whatever. And that, that really connected with me Yeah, to where I was like, I kind of was fine fast forwarding through the worship and all the <laughs> baptisms and all the stuff and just watching his sermon or whatever. But I was like, you know what? I should go. Hmm. And then, uh, so I went and I still kind of feel like I could live with it, live without it a little bit. Um, but I really appreciate what he has to say. And it's usually very, um, encouraging and, um, like the last, I didn't go this last week, but two weeks ago, the whole thing was about like discerning God's will for your life, which is a crazy thing to even think about. Uh-huh. But he was talking about gifts. It was like a, a triangle where gifts, your passions and your gifts meet a, an opportunity. Hmm. It was this triangle with those three things. Your, your passion and what you're good at meets with an open door of some kind of like an opportunity to do something. These are, I've been having this conversation with Mike and a lot of people have like restarting music and, you know, doing this band and yeah, all this stuff. Like when my dad passed away, like at his funeral, all these people were talking about music and how much music meant to him and like whatever. And like, I felt that. And, and in that moment I felt like, not like I'm being, I'm not one of those kind of, I don't feel that kind of stuff too often. You've heard me talk about enough of this stuff enough to, I'm not, I've had like two or three experiences in my entire life where I was like, I think God's talking to me right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't see God in every little opportunity or every little thing or whatever. But, sure. But I felt that very deeply hmm. that that was like, when you're fucking 52, dude, and you're getting tattoos <laughs> still 
And your family's like looking at you like, what are you doing really? Like, what did you do this weekend? I went to this show. No one ever knows what the fuck you're talking about. All the square straight people, you know, they're just like the turn, the what's the turnstile, the, you know what I mean? Like, you're still doing that really? That's just what you're doing with your life. And I, I feel that. I get that. I, I realize I'm fucking old as dirt and like, it's weird that I'm like <laughs> no, this single, not. I'm just this single 52, almost 53 year old guy. Who's like still going to punk shows and like playing music. I, I even thought that driving home today, I just thought like, how long am I going to keep this going? Like it, it just, I can't stand too well anymore is when I like, Oh, I got to hang it up. Like, That's... I don't know. But all I know is that like, I have passion. I have this opportunities right? Yeah. I have these gifts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that just hit me. I just, I bought that. I said, I think that's right. Yeah. I think like, this is something telling me maybe just Randy tell, and that's fine. Yeah. Telling me that, Hey man, when you got gifts and, and opportunity and passion and all that stuff, you should go for it. Hmm. It's basically what he said. And then he gave all these awesome examples of the girl, Ellie, that, that went to that church that started Ellie's run for Africa at 10 years old. And that eventually led Tiffany Lewis to go to Africa and then eventually Mike and eventually me to Kenya. Oh, wow. She went to that church. Talked about this lady that like started helping inner city kids and just thought like quit her other things, she knew job she was doing and started doing this other stuff. I just thought that was cool, man. Hmm. So if you can get little moments like that, that's kind of like what to put a fine point on it. Yeah. If I can get something like that out of that, and what, and there were people there that were fun, like when I was first married, that were in our young couples group that remi- remembered me and my name and shit. I can't remember people's name I met three days ago. I'm like, how the fuck do you remember me after 10 years? Like, my name's Clark, by the way. Yeah, yeah, nice. Good to meet you, dude. <laughs> I'm in your but, home. Uh, but so. like, seriously, like, I haven't been at this church in well over a decade, maybe 15 years or something. And they're like, oh, Bill, like, whatever. I was like, that's nice. You know? That's great. At the same time, I was like, I don't, don't ask me to be in your group or anything. You know what I'm saying? I got to know. That's always the next step. I'm trying to hang out with Clark and stuff, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, again, a single 52-year-old guy who lives by myself, who goes to punk shows on the weekend, and they all got kids and wives and jobs, and they're into sports and whatever, and I'm never going to be that fucking person. Yeah. Just never going to be. <laughs> You know, no, it's, it's, it's encouraging to hear that because I know, I, I feel like I, I know of what you've been through, Yeah, you know, in the last few years and, and, um, you know, when someone goes through thing after thing, after thing, after thing, it's, I, I guess it's the most encouraging part of it is like, there's, you still see hope in things and you're still finding that in this world and like we all know how or the last year and a half has been globally for everyone that's just encouraging that you can find that somewhere you yeah. know and, and um whether that be in something that like most people struggle with or or you know like you at times has have probably <laughs> like myself struggled with certain aspects of that culture and mm-hmm. it's like you still found something good out of it i and, still do yeah Awesome. And I and I and I just feel like, I mean, there's a not, there's a lot not to like, especially about the church in America and all. That. So there's plenty not to like. Sure. But I just feel fortunate in that you know, having done my podcast and talking to so many people, and whatever, I had a good experience as a kid in church. So I don't, hmm. 
I don't have that baggage of that thing. But ev- most people I meet do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> most people have that, like, they told me I was listening to the devil's music. Or they told me if I had sex before marriage, I was going to burn in hell. Or my Aunt Kathy killed herself. And they're like, well, too bad. She's not going to. And just on and on. Just terrible. Yeah. Terrible stuff. You don't speak in tongues. You're not really a Christian. You're not. Just all the baggage. You didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of that. I brought kids of Mohawks to church, and the pastor's like smiling at him while he's doing the sermon. Like, I threw punk shows in the basement. We got to practice. My dad worked at the church. That helped. But, like, the youth group leader was super cool. Like, I remember one time we did, like, for a talent thing at the youth group, we did Donut Shop Rock by the punk band Doggy Style as, like, a... (laughs) We just danced around and, like, lip-synced, like, the song or whatever, like... People were just not uptight. And it could be like that Southern California, like culture is different than being when you're in fucking Kansas or Tennessee right. or Georgia or like whatever. Yeah. Where a lot of these people are from. But yeah, none of that Baptist, Pentecostal, cat, whatever. Just yeah. all that horror show of all that like weird stuff. Like, you know. It's good. Yeah. So I'm I feel fortunate and that. Very happy for you. Not scarred by good. all that part of it. <laughs> but in the middle in there somewhere, I was at tooth and nail. So that, yeah. you know. <laughs> I got I got cured of that part yeah. during that part where I had to answer all the letters and write to all the people right. that were angry on both sides of everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. I could only imagine. Yeah. I've I've maybe have grown up around a mom or two that might have sent a letter right. that you read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just re-recorded two songs from Blenderhead. Yeah. Tow Truck. Yeah. And Transit Transatlantic Solo Flight. Solo Flight. I don't even know where that came from. Is it? Isn't that weird? The title has nothing to I do with... I wrote that song, but I don't remember. No, it does, but oh. I, I just don't remember, like, was that in a movie? Was that, like, where the hell did I come up with that? I have no idea. <laughs> Tow truck's easy. I remember that. But. You didn't write it, like, as you were flying back from... I'm on a somewhere? solo flight back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I did my solo flight around the... Uh, across the Atlantic? No, yeah. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. But, yeah, I intended to play those songs live... And so the whole purpose of re-recording them w- was to do them in a new version that I would be playing them in, um, so that when I played them live, people were acquainted with, like, why is he playing? Because I know it could be, at least I can be that way. It's like, why? What are you doing? Did you change the lyrics? <laughs> what do you like? What do you? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you you want to hear it the way you know it, right? Yeah. I at least I do. Most people do. Why are you playing this different? What do you what's what are you doing? Uh-huh. Sometimes it's cool to do a little improv thing or like whatever, but I mean So you're giving them a heads up. Yeah. This is like and for people that are not familiar, which is gonna be with most people, mm-hmm. they'll be like, Oh, this is new songs they wrote. And why those two songs? Uh I felt like they translated the best to what I'm trying to do now. Mm. A little bit more easy to play more straightforward. And honestly, like there were a lot of stuff that I wrote in the old band that everything we try to make weird somehow that was kind of our thing yeah um you know like oh let's like in the one song is it trans yeah in transatlantic the verse ends and you think you're gonna go to the chorus and then it goes back to the verse weird shit like that yeah so where my thing now is like verse chorus first chorus bridge chorus like very <laughs> tr- very straight ahead very like whatever but when i yeah. wrote those songs i wrote them that way okay like i wrote them straight ahead and then they got uh, okay they got the treatment, the, yeah. the by committee treatment of here's what this is at the other end of like whatever. Okay. But yeah, like Tow Truck in particular, or Transatlantic in particular, that was a song I just wrote on acoustic guitar and I played it pretty much the way it's recorded now. Nice. Yeah. And so when you, going back to something we were talking about earlier, like 
Was that normal? Like you'd be, were you the main song songwriter in, in Blender? Um, or? Matt and I probably did the lion's share of the writing. And then, um, sometimes like Ed or Evan or like on Muchacho Vivo, Evan wrote some of those songs also. Okay. The ones that he sang and everything like that. Um, they would bring in their own parts or their own, cause I was like a guitar player really. Okay. Never. And did, did you have to go get your, like the other guys' blessings to do these two songs or just I've like played a, them for them, but I mean, it's, you know, that's my band pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we recorded those songs together, but they don't care. Cool. I, mean, I played them for Ed and Matt. They both know like that I'm doing it and everything, but I didn't ask permission if that's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys. I would feel weird if it was like, there are definitely songs that Matt pretty much wrote the lyrics and the music and like whatever. Um, I would feel weird doing something like that. Yeah. But, but um, I know but, that feeling, but those songs, those are songs that I pretty much wrote the, the main part of the music and all the lyrics. And then outside of the two redone songs, you're doing a covers yep. record. And is that under Bill Power, Spoken in Tongues? Everything's Blenderhead, Spoken in Tongues. Spoken in Tongues? Yeah. Cool. You're in the band. You should know. <laughs> but the people are you don't tra- know. Are you, uh, do you have your podcast hat, hat on right now? Is that I what's do. happening? Yeah. For the listeners For the listening, listeners. Clark is playing drums on the covers EP. He's now asking me about it on, as if he's never <laughs> doesn't know what he's talking about. What uh? What songs are we playing? Oh <laughs> boy! <laughs> yeah. No, no. So the the two songs, Blinderhead songs, are done. They're gonna come out first. If I can fucking finish it this they, week, they sound great. You should just. I don't know. Go. You haven't heard the latest. It's still working on. <laughs> it's close though. Uh, the one is pretty much done. One little, one little tweak done, and then yeah, I did a lot of work on tow truck yesterday. Cool. But yeah, it's supposed to come out next friday i hope I, I get it uploaded in time to do that okay um but Bandcamp, no matter what i can do that because i control that yeah um and then cover zp the following month and then new full length um in november the week of my birthday my Sweet. goal my goal when i put the record out two years ago in 2019 in november of 2019 um i had worked on that forever and then i said coming into my 50s my goal was to put out a record every year at my birthday nice that's kind of my operating what I'm trying to operate under. I like that. Yeah. Cause of COVID it got fucked up. Sure. Um, but um, that's my goal is to kind of put a record out. If I put other EPs or do other things in between, that's fine. But yeah. my goal is to do a full length record. Yeah. Every, and you, every it, year of my birthday. And you were telling me like, you know, this is also serving as like a good project for you to like exercise kind of like your engineering side and, and mixing stuff that like you learned. Yeah. I'm trying to, to learn. And, yeah. Yeah. I've Which, got the fever right now. I'm buying gear. Like I was it's, about to say, you've amassed quite the setup here. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't remember those monitors from photos in the past. Like this microphone. Two new. sets of monitors. Yeah. Got a new warm audio stuff coming on Thursday. New yeah. uh, 2A compressor and a 76 compressor. You don't need anything else? Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's going to be my chain. The new preamp and then the those two things can't afford the real thing <laughs> i will never and it would never occur to me like i just have like a thing in me that like like is it to make that much it, at the end it's like an mp3 bro like I <laughs> like a, some of that studio gear fetishism stuff of yeah. like like it's really overkill it just is yeah like it, it like maybe to you it's amazing but like you got to think about the end user and mm-hmm. the end user is airpods earbuds <laughs> 
Well, I mean, that's most of the time when I listen to shit. That's what makes me want to change this last thing because I was listening to the mix on my little HomePod. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the background vocals sound weird on this HomePod. Because I'm thinking that's what fucking matters. Yep. Because that's how the end user is going to receive this. Yeah. Is on the HomePod or in their car, maybe. Maybe. Or AirPods or earbuds or whatever. They're not listening to it on some big system or whatever. They're just not. <laughs> so though, you're doing spending all this money and all this high-end gear and all this shit. And it's just like... To bounce it down to this like compressed little like <laughs> file that's gonna get streamed over on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Weird. It is weird. So I don't know. I'm not gonna spend that kind of Are you of gonna money. do any vinyl for any of this? Uh I still have a whole closet full of vinyl over there if anybody wants any. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be spending my I'm spending my money on gear because I want stuff to, you know. I want to get better at recording and so I wanna have the right stuff. It's time. Yeah. It started with the Apollo. Well, well, I got the Apollo last year. That was the beginning of like, and then I, this week I was just like, I've had this on my wish list for like three years. This is it. It's time to do it. Yeah. I'm going to get this nice chain, have a really nice pre and a couple nice compressors. Maybe that get that bus compressor. And that's it. Yeah. That's all you need. Well, right. I've, I've heard the newer mixes and I know I've heard the mix. Well, I've heard like... <laughs> The next to newest mix is six point one. Yeah, six point one. Well, I've probably heard point two or three, <laughs> and I mean, did you mix the first spoken in tongues? Yeah, thing to, I did yeah. That so like, too. it's great. I didn't master it, but I mixed it. It's it's great, but like, the new stuff is really great. Thanks. Like, it's so good, and I'm very excited for other people to hear it. Thank you. I I I. I have like all artist and musician people or whatever, which I'm always hesitant to even call myself that. But um, I, I have that crippling self doubt of like what I, like, and I've been through that whole gamut of emotions of thinking it sounds amazing, and then being like, "What the fuck is this? this is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard?" Yeah. And then I'll listen to some other, you know, like the new Jail Socks record. I was listening to that, and then I made the mistake of going right from that to <laughs> it was recorded on some place where they're spending all this money, right? Yeah, they know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and um but then today when i listened to the final transatlantic mix in the, the car with the one little tweet co to come i was like yeah sounds pretty good good so i've i've gone through the whole the full <laughs> the full circle of emotions yeah maybe somebody will like it i i think they will <laughs> or they'll they be like why is he ruining these songs <laughs> They were so good before. Why is he ruining them? Do you want to talk about the, the new Spoken in Tongues? I'm trying, like, all I want to say about that is I'm terrible at self-promotion. Um, I hate it. I hate when, when someone says something like the hotly anticipated or the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. The, what, all that stuff. I hate all of it. I hate it so much. I hate every last bit of it. Like, if if you want to just talk like somebody talk about something, say this is the story behind this or whatever, I'm mm -hmm. all about that. I'm all about people's stories or their this is what I was trying to express or this is the theme of or like whatever. But like the hype part of it, like I think I was telling you the other day, I just posted a picture of pizza on the Spoken Times page. <laughs> yeah. I like pizza. I don't you know just what kept I'm saying. Doing. I made pizza. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I made pizza. Yeah. Do you guys like pizza? I'm terrible at this. <laughs> so that's my new approach is I don't know, self-deprecating, like whatever. The the all the, all I'm trying to do is play shows. That's it. Okay. I want to make records and I want to play shows. And if 
somewhere along there, some cool local company or somebody wants to put out some vinyl, I certainly would love to have my record on vinyl. He's pointing to all his... My like 400 albums that are over here in my inbox, my vinyl inbox over there of stuff I used to love to listen to. Oh, wow. I want to do all the things, man. But I think we talked about that a little bit the other night. I'm a real into the idea of scene building here. Like of just mm-hmm. renting halls and doing little small shows, handpicking bands that are kind of simpatico with the kind of music that I'm trying to play. And yeah, hopefully some nice people like you will come along and want to keep doing it. You I, know? I'm there. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love it. I still love music. I love playing it. I love, you know, and I, it's always been a struggle for me. Like I have a hard time memorizing lyrics. I have a hard time. Mm-hmm. I've never played guitar. I'm playing guitar in this band and singing and, and um, it's easier than playing bass and singing. I will say that. Really? I played bass and sang in my other bands. And that was, I, the nature of the music made it a lot more difficult because okay. the bass wasn't always going along with what the singing uh, was. Now I'm just playing rhythm guitar and I'm playing just straight bar chords and it's going along with whatever it sure. is. I don't have to send my brain in a completely different direction of what my hands are doing. Yeah, you leave that to the lead guitar player. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that part of it's cool and exciting and fun. Um. But yeah, it's number two in a trilogy. So first record was The Nail That Sticks Up Will Be Hammered Down. This one's The Light at the End of the Tunnel is a Black Hole. It's very uplifting, positive. I, yeah. Uh, and then the third record is The Unreal and the Hyperreal Happening at Once, which is from a Stephen Colbert interview on Marin, um, where he's talking about how yeah. his, all his brothers and dad and them all died on this plane crash. And yep. all of a sudden it was, he was in this huge family and it was just like him and his mom and mm-hmm. how weird it was. And that was the expression he used, the unreal and the hyperreal happening at once, um, which I feel like is such a great <laughs> expression, poetic expression of like the weird times or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just been this, I've had this concept of these three records in my head for a long time. And I'm just on this journey of like getting through all this stuff. Like, like this new record starts with like, this instrumental thing where it's like you're on this, you hear the ocean and you're just out, out at sea. And so it's kind of like the last record was like all the, the heavy shit of like divorce and all this stuff and whatever. And then it's like, I'm out in the ocean and then I'm kind of getting to land. Mm. And then when I get to land, it's like, I haven't shaken you yet. <laughs> like the first line is actually a line of, I was thinking the other day, I'm actually really proud of that line. Where it's, um, I hate to admit the truth. I haven't shaken you yet. Like a dog on the trail of a murder, I still keep following your scent. Is like the, the mm. opening line of like the new record. Um, so I'm kind of like still continuing down that path. Um, and I feel like I just am trying to deal with all this stuff and get it all out. And then through over these three records and then, then I'll be ready to move on to new things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, wow. That, like, brought about so many thoughts. Like, it's hard. <laughs> and, I mean, with my past experiences, like, it's just, it's hard to forget. And yeah. that whole scent and following the trail, like, yeah, that's a great picture of, like, how it feels to just go to your past or to, like, relive something in your head or... And then you're like, oh my God, why do I keep thinking of this person? And oh, yeah. uh, or that 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 thing that their cousin did or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, why, why am I living in that room in my head? A fucking still? spoon in my kitchen that she gave me one year at Christmas. That's like a Star Wars spatula or some shit. 
I'm serious. That's yeah. a, it's so weird. No, I, it's like I, just the I'm not dumbest. laughing because I think it's silly. I'm laughing it because I know hilarious. it's true. It's hilarious, but true. And it's like you and I have talked about that. What I call the myth of closure. Like, yeah, I hear people talk all the time about closure and all this shit, and I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no such thing as closure. You move on. You create new memories. You move on in your life. You do new stuff. You get in new relationships. You like whatever. That shit is always right there under the surface and yeah. easily recallable. <laughs> An experience, a like, I don't know. Like yeah. on that Haley Williams record I was playing when you came in, she has a line in there that I love where uh, she's talking about her ex-husband. She's saying she had a sex dream about her ex-husband hmm. in the song. That's what she's singing about. I thought that's so fucking relatable. <laughs> Isn't it though? It- You've been married. You're with a different person now. Just like. You're just like, I'm doing good. I'm good. Like this happened the other day. I was like not thinking about any of this stuff, not thinking about the past and that stuff. And there's a bunch of cows by the side of the road. And my ex-wife, my most recent ex-wife, used to love to yell out the window to the cows. And they would all, she'd do this high-pitched like yell. And they would all turn their heads and look at her. And I still love it. I still think it's funny. Yeah. And and it was fun. And it was a fun, like a thing that we had, like, or whatever. But in that moment, I was like, fucking cows. Fucking <laughs> used to yell. Like, but I kind of want to yell right now and have them all look at me. Because that was fun. Yeah. Shit like that. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you just have to learn, how am I going to live with it? You have to make peace with it. Yeah. And, and the, It's like, okay, so I'll see if I can make this connection. What helps me with people in my past is the same thing that helps me with the people in my present that I struggle with. And that is the concept that I'm learning to love them for who they are, not who I want them to be. Yep. Or accept them for who they are. Yep. And, you know, accept them for who they were in my past, whatever, you know, negative things or, um, and positive things that they brought into the the picture, like accept that. And like, instead of, well, they should have, or we could have, or mm-hmm. how dare they continue to, uh, 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 it's like, no, like I, I'm still projecting some kind of idea onto them that really at the end of the day probably stems from something I'm unhappy about myself. Mm-hmm. I should probably just work on that. And sure. focus on that. And so, like, there's kind of two two ideas there, you know. The, the one, like I said, you know, accepting them for who they are, not who I want them to be. But then also, like, realizing, like, there's a fair amount of projection. You know, um, I think I, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else. I had someone for years in my life who gave me shit for showing up late, even if I was, like, a minute or two late to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so hard on myself like if you're late crucify myself almost like even to a point to where i've even fallen prey to just like hours ahead of time being like i'm gonna be late (laughs) like and just start beating myself up for no reason yeah and 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 it's just like i I, that's kind of like a more of a nurture thing but like the projection that i maybe put on other people Mm mm-hmm because of the shit I was given, it's like one, I, I just got to realize where that came from yeah, and just work on me. Cause I don't want to project that like on my loved ones or friends, yep. but then I'm, I'm also projecting it back on me. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, 
I don't know if I'm making sense now. Of course you are. Um, you know what I thought of immediately when you said that? What? That stupid fucking review. That meant a lot to me, that text you sent to me the other day. Good. Yeah. I meant it. No, but it's just like, who's that? I don't even know who that fucking guy is. Why did I give a shit? You don't remember his name? No. But it was everywhere. Like every, it was like on everything that you went to. Yeah. And it just got in there. Just like that guy got in your head, like about being late. Yeah. <laughs> I legit have talked about this probably three times in the last month because it's like, it's, it, I'm starting to realize it's really fucking with me that bad. Yeah. Like being late. Yeah. And you have to do that mindf mindfulness meditation thing, man. That's the thing I've been trying to do. What's that? You acknowledge the thought. You see the thought, you, and then you oh, let yeah. it go on by, like you're on the bus or whatever. Here comes the thought. Yeah. I am a piece of shit. I'm late. I'm whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not good enough, or I always quit this or whatever. You know, whatever mm -hmm. the voice is, and then you just acknowledge it and then let it move along. Mm. It's been a minute since I've heard that. I wish I could remember that when that's happening. <laughs> yeah. That would help a lot. Yeah. No, that's that's timely. I <laughs> timely. <laughs> that I mean, Unlike you, it's timely. Yeah, no, oh, the, just oh, no, no. <laughs> I just want to say that uh I really appreciate you. Likewise. And you've been I've uh, being able to become friends with you and spend time with you and uh, be encouraged by you and, and uh, everything has been awesome and your wife and uh, it's cool man thanks it's, uh, it makes me feel like I made the right decision coming back here good that's the kind of shit that's why I came back here to drop off a half a pizza from Smith and Lens <laughs> which he did go to see Turnstile and yeah. make records and do shit yeah I love it. Thank you. And likewise, like it's, it's been encouraging to, I don't know, like, uh, <laughs> sometimes you, you find people who can empathize with you and it's not great. <laughs> yeah. This is great. Like yeah. we can, I can, you can empathize and also like you've seen some shit that like it brings in some wisdom as well that I need to hear. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I appreciate you being candid and not wanting to talk about the weather as well. Thanks. Because... <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst who just wants to sit and just be the old man on the Kentucky front porch, just being like talking about the weather and shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like waving my hand like I have a cigarette nice. in it. Like, no, I like it. It's like emulating my father. Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. I all I know is it's like it's something I value. I think I told. I don't know if I told. I've been telling people this, so I apologize if I told you this also. But like, if I meet somebody and I say. How's it going, man? And they're like, eh, pretty shitty, actually. I immediately want to come become friends with that person. Yeah. That's the kind, like, I appreciate uh, authenticity is like, if there's values of things I value, that's probably number one. That's awesome. Yeah. Sincerity, authenticity, you know, be real, man. I mean, that's, that's at the root of so many of our problems, right? Yeah. People pretending to be something they're not, people saying they like something when they don't like it, people doing stuff they don't want to do. Because they're afraid if they don't do it that other people are going to think, well, why don't you want to do that? Why don't you like that? Or like whatever. So, ma so many of the problems that, of anxiety and all these things are because people don't feel free to just be themselves and be honest and to express, 
You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I feel that so strongly because I'm like this weird extroverted introvert person that like everyone expects to be on all the time, as I often am. Sure. But if I'm not, it's like almost impossible to not be. Because if I'm quiet, people are like, what's the matter? Mm. You having a bad day? What's going on? <laughs> like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so it's easy to get trapped in these expectations that people have of how you're going to behave and how you're. And so we kind of condition ourselves to be careful or mm-hmm. don't say what we're really thinking or don't like whatever. So thankfully, whatever that is, is broken in me. And I just say whatever the fuck. And then later I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What did I say? Did I say that? Did I really say that? So that's what this, this will be like now. Like I look back now and just feel like some weird force took over my body and my mouth. And then all this stuff just got thrown out onto you. And then that's when I always say something like, are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this is what who you want to relaunch? You never your, say that. Are you sure what you, you want to relaunch your podcast with me? That does not seem like a good idea. <laughs> so good luck. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being my first guest back. It's it's I'm honored. Like the it's weird. It's good. It's really weird to be to be rebooting it, but I listened to your podcast like literally through some of the shittiest years of my life. Yeah, and the conversations you had that you don't want to rehash and rehab again. Yeah, for for the the season that I was in. <laughs> oh man! For, <laughs> for the, for the <laughs> did you like that? <laughs> I did that for you. Did you say the seasoning that you're in? (laughs) (laughs) Were you cooking something? I was, let me tell you, for the black pepper that I was in. um, No, yeah, like there was, you know, some years that there was some, some, you know, I don't sleep. I can run on Mm -hmm. three hours of sleep. Not great. Sure. But there were many years where... uh, Urban Achiever was in my earbuds from one thirty in the morning till six thirty in the morning till I'd fall back asleep. Wow. Like just because you know, like it's just kind of in a, a really militant, strict environment. Yeah, and that broke me down. And and um, you know, to hear real conversations of people who had maybe experienced that or, or were working through similar things or questioning similar things. Um, it was the first time coming out of, um, for someone who was in the Christian world, it was the first time that I'd really heard people coming out of that same world or was or in the same world being that open. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I think that kind of goes back to your personality and you being being willing to host that and open that up. Like, that was great. Yeah. And... I've told, you know, one or two other people similar things and um, you know, I I I really mean it. Like it it, it helped because it was like it made me feel like I wasn't alone in it mm-hmm. in the same way that music did twenty years before, or yeah. thirty years before, whatever, however long before it was like podcasting was like, oh wow, like it, it was like my own little um I don't know if you know, like whenever you go to the the comic book store or you know back in the day when people used to go buy comics and 
and stuff. When you found like one that was new to you, you're like, I'm the only one who's found this and it's so cool. Yeah. And then six months later, it's like, everyone has it. You know, (laughs) that's how podcast was for me because there was a period where it was like so special. And I was like, well, yeah, that's part of it too. I didn't mention that in my, my rant, but that's definitely a part of it now. Yeah. When I started it, I was one of the only people doing it and one of the only people talking to the people I was talking to. Yeah. And then now it just seems like there's so many and then kind of duplication of like the same people. And and so a little weird. Yeah. Got to go in a whole other direction. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the direction's good. It <laughs> sounds good, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for people to hear it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you for then. Thank you for now. Thank you. The end. The end. All right. All right, there we have it. That was my talk with Billy Power. Man, yeah, go check that stuff out. Tow Truck and Transatlantic Solo Flight are already out on Bandcamp, and they sound amazing. So please go check out Spoken in Tongues, uh, the band. Again, that's on Bandcamp. You can find Billy at Get at Billy Power on Instagram. All right, I'm going to go take care of myself. Got to make some phone calls, do the things, do all the things. But I hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next time with a new guest. And I'm going to keep the suspense this time. Sneak it in there. All right, take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you.